everybody. Welcome back. I'm Jessica, Executive Director of Wild Cumberland. And I'm Devin, a Wild Cumberland volunteer. We appreciate you being here. We start every podcast this way because we think it's important for our newest listeners to know. But the best way to stay up to date on news and issues affecting Cumberland Island and its wilderness is through our monthly email newsletter. We cover a lot of that information in these episodes, but not everything. So that's definitely still a great resource to check out. Yeah, that's right. If you're not already subscribed, go to our website, wildcumberland.org, and sign up right now. We can tell you there are also archived editions of previous newsletters there. So if you've missed one, you'll be able to catch up. Always. In this episode, we'll drop some details about our upcoming program with the Atlanta Science Festival and our commitment to Cumberland fundraiser. We also have updates on the appointment of a new interim superintendent for Cumberland Island National Seashore with some other local news. Stay tuned. It's February. We hope all of you caught the special episode we dropped at the end of January with special guest Hal Wright. If you haven't, be sure to check it out. You know, I really enjoyed our conversation with Hal. There's a lot to learn from him. He's been in this game for a while. One thing that our organization strives to do is ensure that the public has the information and context necessary to make informed decisions. Uh, So interviews like Hal's and historical context are important to us. That's why this month we're going to go back even further in time, Devin. Oh, yeah. Where are we going? I want to talk about the Wilderness Act of 1964 a little bit. Let's do it. All right. So before I was born, obviously, uh, (laughs) in 1964, the Wilderness Act was written with the intent, I think, of providing our society with some degree of restraint as related to our natural resources. It was signed by President Lyndon Johnson only two years after Rachel Carson published the book Silent Spring and not very far into what is now recognized as the Anthropocene era officially. So, right. So in 1964, things like the EPA, the Endangered Species Act, and even NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, didn't exist. Right. The population at that time was around 190 million only. Yep. And the Wilderness Act was passed with bipartisan support. And I I mentioned in our newsletter, I quoted some of that text. And just so that we're all familiar, it actually reads that in order to assure that an increasing population accompanied by expanding settlement and growing mechanization does not occupy and modify all areas within the United States and its possessions, leaving no lands for preservation and protection in their natural condition. Powerful language. And now it's 2024, right? What's the U.S. population now, Devin? (laughs) We have almost hit 335 million. And that's an increase of about 144 million. So like almost doubled. Almost doubled. In 60 years. We also simultaneously experienced the hottest year on record. Yeah. Um, The headlines seemed like just an endless dumpster fire basically right so it's like wildfires flooding and droughts tornadoes hazardous air quality conditions the rising sea levels of course and extreme temperature fluctuations just to name a few and to say that we're far more reliant on technology now i think would be an understatement oh yeah so we wild cumberland the organization do understand that the wilderness act because it's a human construct is imperfect yeah. But it does remain the highest degree of land protection available. And it helps to protect extraordinary places, much like Cumberland Island. For, for more than half a century now. Half a century. That is wild. I think we're sensitive to the fact that perceptions of wilderness 
and its benefits are varied, even among its supporters. So, you know, some of us believe that we have a responsibility to protect nature from ourselves, mm-hmm. particularly as we've moved away from any sort of interdependence. Others believe wilderness areas are the only places remaining where nature has the opportunity to adapt without our interference. And then I think there are a number of us who are questioning whether or not our society might actually be acknowledging the fact that our displacement and exploitation <laughs> of people and cultures must must come due, right? We're so our, We might be the common denominator in that. While Cumberland doesn't have all the answers... But we can try to make space for the conversations and collaborations that lead to discovering them. And that's exactly why we are partnering with the 2024 Atlanta Science Festival this year. Yep. Our Metro Atlanta area supporters can join us in person for a discussion on these kinds of topics uh, at Seven Stages Theater on Sunday, March 10th. We are going to have, we're going to feature some work by the incredibly talented artist Dorothy O'Connor. I don't know, Devin, if you're familiar with her work, but she's contributing to what I would call and have called an immersive experience inspired by Cumberland. Mm. So um, we're going to have scientists and artists and advocates, regular people like you and me, and we're going to talk a little bit about how wilderness can potentially protect our future. So this program is provided at no cost to the public. We're going to have some snacks and beverages as well. So plan to arrive early at noon. Uh, the talk will get started about 1 o'clock. We've got an amazing caterer and coastal plant expert and forager helping us out. It's going to be a good time. Very nice. I can't wait for that. Please don't miss it. Uh, capacity is limited and reservations are required. So the tickets will be released by the Atlanta Science Festival in just a few weeks. But we'll keep you posted. Sure. We'll, we'll be sure to post on our social media. And, of course, Atlanta Science Festival will be putting some stuff out um i can share something else are you ready yeah let's go for topics. it do it we mentioned our virtual auctions coming up and we have dates now let's go okay so may 3rd through 5th may the 3rd this through the one's 5th. online so anybody can support and participate no matter where they live absolutely um and actually this is really important this fundraiser this one commitment to cumberland fundraiser has the ability to fuel our work all year long. All year. So the more money we raise, the more we can do. Um, And that being said, I can announce a pretty cool item we're featuring. Do you want to hear it? I want to hear it. It's the mystery box. The mystery box? The The return of the mystery box. I love it. Uh, This has historically been like one of our most coveted items. Um, It's because because it's a mystery, right? It is. The box (laughs) itself is a mystery. You don't know what you're getting your items Mm -hmm. in. You don't know what's going to be in it. All we will tell you is that it's going to be worth way more than $500. So, um, you know, I I don't know what to say. If you're bold, if you're willing to take a risk, it could really pay off. Take that leap. Right. I can't wait to see what's being offered this year. Uh, The items in that mystery box always have a, a common theme of being related to the island and um, they always feel unique and uh, you know something not easily found or you know easily bought well, we try so. to do that with all of the items we offer right. in the auction yeah um, so everything from guided hikes and art and music have been things that we have featured in the past I can't give away any more about what we're offering this year yet because we make that information available exclusively to our email subscribers first so again a reason to make sure that you're signed up for our email newsletter absolutely again mark your calendar for our commitment to Cumberland 2024 program uh, or fundraiser May 3rd through the 5th. Yep. 
In January, Wild Cumberland was honored to participate alongside youth, science, advocacy, and community voices in a roundtable discussion on ocean justice with the chair of the White House Council on Environmental Quality, the CEQ, uh, Brenda Mallory. Um, This took place at the Georgia Aquarium with one of our um, volunteers for Wild Cumberland in presence, Danny Purvis. She participated in this conversation alongside stakeholders from all over the state to identify specific opportunities that would support ocean justice. Ocean justice is the intersection of ocean protection and social equity. That means that all species, human or not, can equitably benefit from all the ocean has to offer they talked about a lot of stuff they covered what is that what did that include so i think there were recommendations about providing more youth oriented science and coastal programming and education um creating those pipelines for students to find careers in that space and ensuring our teachers are well trained on coastal resources we wild cumberland specifically voiced concerns about the cost of accessing Cumberland Island National Seashore, an access barrier that is obviously felt most acutely by our low-income visitors, um, and recommended providing a more equitable fee structure. So um, I'm really, I was really honored to be a, that our organization was a part of that discussion and appreciate Danny representing uh, the public in that way. Yeah. And these are only a few of the projects that Wild Cumberland volunteers are working on right now. So if you're eager to contribute, uh, send us an email or complete the contact form on our website. Mm-hmm. We're growing super fast and we can use all the help that we can get, honestly. So now, um, yeah, just let go us to the know website. if you can help us yeah, out. Absolutely. We've always got opportunities to plug you in. So for sure. Now it's time for a few updates related to the place that unites us all, obviously, Cumberland Island. That's why many of you are listening right now. Yeah, but those are some really cool events and things happening and important updates to hear. So thanks, Dev. Big news. This is what everybody's really been waiting on. As many of you know, Superintendent Gary Ingram departed the seashore in July of last year. And since then, Deputy Superintendent Steve Theus has served as an interim superintendent. So last month in January, uh, it was announced that Gia Wagner was appointed as the interim superintendent for the seashore. And she's supposed to serve in that capacity for about four months. She has worked for the National Park Service for more than 20 years, most recently at uh, the Andersonville, I think it's called, uh, National Historic Site, which is not far from the Jimmy Carter National Historic Park in Plains, kind of closer to 75. Um, But yeah, so she's going to be there for four months. That's pretty cool. So has there ever been a female superintendent at the the seashore interim or permanent i'm pretty sure there's only been one female superintendent in the history of the seashore that was mary collier who was only an interim and i think that was like in the mid 90s for a short stint but um and guess guess what what? She has a natural resource management background. No way. Yeah, she has a Some degree in geology, right? a master's in environmental biology, and has served as both a biologist and a natural resources branch chief for the Park Service. Wow. Yeah, we're eager to meet her. She's got a, a, a heck of a background for sure. So um, we'll see what happens after the initial four months where they go with that. But uh, I'm excited about that. As a reminder to everyone, the winter ferry schedule is in effect still, and that means no ferry service on Tuesdays and Wednesdays during the months of December, January, and February. 
Yeah, that's why you tend to see a pattern of campsites that appear as available or open uh, for reservations midweek pretty consistently. Um, the recreation.gov system does not incorporate those limitations. So once you make a reservation, you also can't modify the start of your reservation. So it's locked. <laughs> you have to cancel and start a whole new one. Oh, no. And then I don't know how long it, it takes for your site to show up again. So watch out for that. That Tuesday, yeah. Wednesday thing can really trip people up. Oh, we yeah. hear from people pretty regularly with questions. Um, so I, I appreciate that reminder for folks. We've still got a, a ways to go. We also hear that the Sea Camp Dock retaining wall repairs have recently been 100% completed. Yeah. Uh, and in case you missed it, visitors were also evacuated and um, they were evacuated from the seashore because it was closed due to the um, severe weather back on January 8th and 9th. Yep. It was technically reopened, I think, the 10th, but ferry service resumed the next day on the 11th. So we heard from a lot of folks who had to... Uh, scrambled to get on the ferry and onto the mainland in that storm. Yeah, those things can pop up fast. It's definitely good to always be prepared. And then from November through April, uh, speed limits of 10 knots are in place for all vessels over 65 feet. And this is in order to help protect, of course, our North Atlantic right whales. Yeah, that's a big rule to follow. There's only about 360 of these animals left. Um, and 70 of those, actually fewer than 70 of those, are actually reproductively active females. Uh, and our waters are their only known calving grounds. So far, researchers, researchers wow, have identified 17 calves this calving season. Um, going back to the speed limit, of course, boats of all sizes can strike a whale. So we absolutely recommend all boaters follow these speed limits in order to help keep these animals safe, not just the ones over 65 feet. Yeah. I mean, we know, for instance, that NOAA Fisheries is doing an assessment of the injury on a calf known as Juno. She, Mm -hmm. uh, this mom calf pair were spotted off Cumberland. So people tend to recognize the name Juno, but uh, some of the estimates that they've done have include, have indicated that the vessel that struck the calf excuse me, was likely between 35 and 57 feet long. And that, of course, occurred sometime between the beginning of December and and the beginning of January. But just to reiterate that boats boats of any length can really be devastating for these animals, especially the calves. As a reminder to all of you, you can follow NOAA for the most accurate and up-to-date information about the status of these animals during calving and migration. Uh, We provide a link right in our newsletter. Um, yep. so check that out for sure. Speaking of whales and ships, Georgia public broadcasting, uh, the GPB, Love GPB. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They recently published an article indicating that the port of Brunswick is the second busiest port in our nation for wheeled cargo and it's grown fast. That's big. Yeah. So wheeled cargo is, is meant to be driven or rolled off the ships, mm-hmm. I think. Um, Not the ones with the big cranes. That yeah, that's like a lift-on, lift-off gotcha. operation. Yeah. And the Golden Ray, a couple yeah. years ago, right, was actually coming or going from uh, the point, the port of Brunswick, right? Yeah. It had, point. That ship had like 24 fuel tanks with thir- 300,000 <laughs> gallons of fuel. Ooh. It had something like 4,300 automobiles that were ready to roll off mm-hmm. at their next destination. Um in, when it capsized in 2019, that cost at least $840 million to clean up mm. and took two 
years. Oh my gosh. Is that the only thing separating the the point of Brunswick from Cumberland Island? Is that Jekyll Island? Yeah, it, you might think of it that way. It's like 12 miles, a, I think Ken, our friend Ken said, as the crow flies. But <laughs> um, it, it, I don't think most people realize that the southern end of Jekyll to Little Cumberland is just is just three miles it's wow. less than three miles i didn't realize that so there's there we're, we're very closely yeah. connected the port of brunswick speaking of proximity and distance invasive blue land crabs have been spotted in georgia and that was big news to me yeah dnr let us know that the public's um being encouraged to take photos and report sightings of this non-native blue land crab that's mm-hmm. been identified on the coast um They are apparently native from South Florida to Brazil and look a lot like a fiddler crab. They're just bigger. Um, I don't know how far in north in South Florida, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. (laughs) They commonly occur, um, but they bury deep, deep underground and I guess get flushed out when there's heavy rain um, and they come up to the surface. So the adult males are supposed to be blue, the females more white or gray, and then the young, I think, are supposed to be more varied. So I've got to keep an eye out and um, be watching for those. Yeah, absolutely. Be on the lookout, take photos, report sightings. Uh, we provide a link in the newsletter for, for all of that. Um, and each month, we also try to uh, include more links to news and information that our listeners may find a bit relevant. This go-around, that includes some updates on the uh, Okefenokee Protection Act and a fine issued to Twin Pines Minerals. Uh, we also link to Georgia's State Wildlife Action Plan, their SWAP, which is currently being updated and is supposed to help conserve populations of native wildlife species and the habitats they need. You'll also find links to read that even with the passage of the Great American Outdoors Act in 2020, the MPS maintenance backlog has grown from $13 billion in 2020 to $22 billion, and that the MPS struggles in fully implementing the Endangered Species Act. I think one of my favorite articles, though, was this link we had that sent us to pictures on the theme of wilderness from people across the world. Oh, yeah. Those were awesome. Yeah, I definitely, I I took a look at those. And first off, what just an amazing, beautiful rock that we're on, right? (laughs) So diverse. They had pictures from all across the world. Second, I was hoping to see some Cumberland in there, (laughs) you know, but uh, I think I'll have to pay attention next time so I can submit some of my best picks from the Represent next time. Yeah. My favorite link from the newsletter is uh, the piece done by The Current on how things work at the state capitol. That was really good, wasn't it? That was really educational. Yeah. It's written in such an in-depth and informative way. And I think every Georgia resident should absolutely know how the system works here and and kind of how things need to go through this certain process. Yeah, that was a really Um, helpful piece, I think, for a lot of people. Yeah. Well, I think that just about does it uh, for us for this episode. We hope that the topics that we covered um, help you to make better informed choices and that you'll join us in working together to ensure that Cumberland Island and its wilderness are protected. Before we go, I would like to shout out Greg. Oh, our amazing uh, our, editor, our magician behind the scenes, who makes us sound the way we are and uh, makes this podcast um, easily listen. Easily, easily is that a word? <laughs> this is why I don't do it. This is why you know I just speak, and Greg makes me sound good. So uh, we appreciate you, Greg. We definitely wouldn't be here without you. And we know how valuable your time is. So thanks for choosing to spend some of it with us. Stay wild.